Overthinking It podcast, episode 18. Hey, what's up? Episode 18, the OTI podcast is legal. Now, we can... uh, (laughs) We can enlist in the military. We can uh, buy a firearm. Uh, we cannot drink, but we can vote. Uh, with election day on Tuesday, that is excellent. And you hear the dulcet tones of Mr. Mark Lee. How y'all doing? Hey, you you use a microphone that brings out the bass characteristics of your voice. You yes, know, I do. Yeah, it sounds, it's very like a Barry White sort of, or, you know, I don't know, radio announcer. Do you do like yeah. a radio announcer voice or something? Uh, I guess I could. I mean, uh, it's one of the nice things about having this sweet condenser microphone with a USB preamplifier. Yeah. With which I run the sound. Makes I'm, it all using, nice. I'm using a headset mic. It's a headset mic that goes like normally with World of Warcraft. <laughs> I like to play World of Warcraft. I will frag you. I will frag you so hard. I will frag you. Is that is that is fragging something that happens in World of Warcraft? I think you pwn people. I think fragging oh. is a first-person shooter. That's like, like a first-person like shooter. Quake, yeah. Is that actually a piece of military jargon that made its way into the world of well, first-person shooter video I games? I think fragging originally was uh, what, what enlisted men would do when they uh, essentially rebelled against their commanding officer and killed their commanding officer. Oh, really? Yeah, that came from Vietnam. I was there. Wow. I would know. <laughs> Back when you were in the shit. When I was in the shit. Wow. Okay, so uh, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry to offend your people, uh, Mr. Ree, but uh, it is time for I- erection fever. Oh, I'm you, so offended. Uh, do you have oh, er- no. Do you have erection fever? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I did. It burns very, very uh, hot. Strong. So, um, for the first time, I've been asking for this. Uh, in, in for all of the 18 episodes of the Overthinking a Podcast, and it has finally happened. And in fact, uh, we had recorded an episode once, and I was instructed to delete it before it really uh, was posted and before it could really get out there. Uh, I have wanted to have on the podcast Mr. Joshua McNeil, and tonight we have him. So welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. You've built me up now, and I'm almost sure to fail to meet any of those expectations. Josh, do you have erection fever? Um, I got it cleared up uh, back in 2006 uh, when the Democrats actually took over and, uh, you know, it really brought a cool, balmy sensation to my uh, erect collection. (laughs) Yeah, no, if you have erection fever, you should go see a urologist for that. Um, Do you want to say something about who you are and what you do, or what you do at least? Uh, Sure, I am a political spinner. I... uh, and in this election season, I'm working for the environment. So uh, basically, I work with candidates who are going to be good on the environment and try to get them elected and say nice things about them while uh, fighting off the evil hordes of the oil industry um, and their various supporters in Congress. Is it mainly Wait. oil? Is it mainly oil that you're dealing with? Um, oil has spent something like $26 million in this election. Huh. So, yeah, I mean, we're, we're fighting them. Uh, tooth and nail, uh, and and they are a very large nail. Is that um? 
is that uh, so that more than like land use provisions, conservation, endangered species? I don't know what the what the hell the tree huggers are get their little panties in a bunch about their little you know. I mean, the big one these days is global warming. Um, huh. Yeah, uh, sure. We've yeah, only got a couple years left if we're going to do anything about it. Otherwise, we're all going to be a lot tanner than we'd prefer. I know, and I am I am a pasty motherfucker, so I can't... Oh, by the way, we uh, we can swear. It's not like being on the radio. I know as a professional political spinner, you go on the radio or on television or whatnot, don't you? Uh, I do. Yeah, I do. so um, I'll, bet you're, I'll bet you're like very constrained in, in terms of the things that you can say there, you know. But, sadly, uh, that's true. But, uh, you know, most of the outlets that uh, that are willing to listen to me talk don't really care that much. Oh, I don't know. You are a compelling, you are a compelling media personality, I think. Oh. So, so this is a pretty serious media outlet here. I so. know, right? This is, yeah, with our three subscribers. You know, you know why I know we're not a serious media outlet? Because I put the phone number out every episode and no one calls it. The phone number, if you would like to leave a voicemail message to be played back on a future episode of the Overthinking It podcast uh, to tell us we're idiots, we're full of shit, whatever, is area code 203-285-6401. That's 203-285-6401. Or email us at podcast at overthinkingit.com. Uh, you know, tell us what you think of the show, uh, what you like, what you don't like, you know, less of that rather guy, more of that rather guy, make it all rather all the time, uh, you know, whatever you want. Anyway, so Josh, we have stayed away in this election cycle from straightforward political advocacy on the blog because I don't think it really serves our readership and it's not really our brand. We're an overthinking pop culture blog, but actually that's sort of fortunate in this election cycle because it has been a huge, a huge pop culture uh, election cycle from Obama girl to Tina Fey as Sarah Palin to candidates appearing on Saturday Night Live. I mean, as early as the primaries, uh, they were on SNL, they were on Colbert and Jon Stewart. You know, it seems like it seems like the, the the candidates are leveraging entertainment media outlets rather than just news media outlets to you know message the voters and to sort of brand themselves. You think that's accurate? I think it's absolutely accurate. Uh, one thing you're, you're forgetting, though, is it's not a new phenomenon. I mean, Grover Cleveland's vaudeville tour was one of the great political stunts of the 20th century. I'm and, not familiar. Uh, you know, his his impression of a, a drunken, upper-crust uh, individual really kind of made him uh, the candidate that he became. Yeah, or I'm th- or like Chevy Chase and Gerald Ford or something like that. Wasn't that a big one? That was also a big one. Yeah, um, it's interesting, the... the that's really been a series of failed opportunities, especially on the Republican side. Um, you know, if you watched Obama on uh, The Daily Show a couple of weeks ago, he managed to be funny and presidential at the same time. Uh, I thought the pale in appearance on Saturday Night Live was really just kind of a, a bizarre, tense moment that didn't make anyone laugh and certainly did nothing to improve her popularity. Kind of awkward, right? 
Yeah, I mean, if she if she actually gotten into it with Tina Fey or made a couple of those jokes about herself that Tina made Tina Fey made about her right before she came on, could have been a really good moment. Could have been something like, oh, okay, she gets it, she realizes, you know, what how she's viewed, and she can make fun of it. You could really get a lot of distance out of that, but she totally failed to take advantage of it. Well, yeah, she was standing for both of her appearances. She was standing there the first time while Alec Baldwin made the jokes, the second time while Amy Poehler made the jokes. Yeah, I actually didn't understand why Amy Poehler did that rap thing and not uh, not Tina Fey as Sarah Palin. I mean, maybe maybe she had a, an agreement that like she would not appear with Tina Fey as herself, well, something like that. It's interesting when I saw Amy Poehler do the the rap thing. First of all, it was a pretty incredible performance. She definitely has the hip hop chops for sure. But I was thinking back to the first time I ever saw Amy Poehler on TV. I think it was Poehler. Poehler. I just met her. Thank you. I think it was her. I might be mistaking her with another SNL cast member, but I think she was on like Leno or some talk show or Conan, and she ripped out an amazing version of Welcome to the Jungle. Um, It's like that kind of like sneering uh, performance attitude that probably she has that perhaps, I mean, Tina Fey doesn't, you know, quite embody that. That's my theory. I guess not. Yeah, she's she's kind of middle of the road. She's sort of a, if Amy Poehler is like a comic... A comic comic. Tina Fey is a comic straight man woman. They're they're right. they're lady comedians, but of two you know two very different varieties, I guess. Right. It's like you know not quite analogous, but you know compare for Chris Farley to say Norm Macdonald, for example. You know what's going to be new though uh, for this for the 2008 election? This is going to be the uh, the election that mainstreamed viral video. Right. I heard some statistic today that like one third of uh, likely voters have seen a viral video online. And they say that didn't happen in 2004. No, to the I mean, starting with Obama girl. And then like a lot of it is is actually the Internet video of these SNL um these SNL appearances because they're, they're a lot more savvy now about internet video than they used to be when they, uh, you know, took lazy Sunday down off the web, down off the YouTubes everywhere. Right. Right. But, um, let's go back to 2004. What, I mean, I, the big hit in 2004 was the jib jab video. Right. Exactly. it It came right at the end of the election and, um, you know, it was huge. People were really excited about it, but it, it, they came really late. That was it. I mean, yeah, there were. I mean, there were some others, but that was the one that everybody saw. Right. Yeah. Huh. But now and it's in now it's this huge. You had a lot of uh, a lot of candidates trying to get in on that, but because it was there was no national election, there was nothing that really broke kind of as a national piece of pop culture. So this year was the first time you really had a chance for that to happen uh, since '04. Right. And just the you know the spread of of broadband, I think like. Forty-six percent of America has broadband now. I mean, it's you're right. I, more people right. have access to it now by by you know the fact. Well, as a three. as a political, you must be a statistics machine. Actually, you know, the beauty of statistics is that uh, you can make them up, but if you say them really kind of with authority in your voice, uh, people believe it. Like, for example, uh, say again. Like, for example, forty-six uh, percent of Americans have access to broadband. <laughs> <laughs> Did not know that. that. Yeah, no, that's great. Wow, yeah. I'll get the. Use, we'll, use it in your daily life. It works especially well on girlfriends. 
Yeah. Yeah. Right. When you're having a when you're having a uh, when you're having a fight. Hey, don't you know that like seventy eight percent of America agrees with me? Exactly. Uh, so yeah, so there's huge broadband penetration, if you will. And as we're as we're getting more and more information through, you know, forty second clips on the internet. Yeah. Um, you know, of course, that's where people are going to look for political information as well. I mean, it's a politics is usually about five to ten years behind um, the rest of the world in terms of adapting to new technologies yeah. and new ways of communicating. Here, it's only about that's five. Up and Obama really is is current, which is amazing. It's the first time it's ever happened. But you know, this is no different than the pamphlets that were flying around in the 1700s. I mean, it's just you use the method that that people are used to to communicate with them. Sure. And yeah, I mean, that's an amazing thing that Obama has done. Whoever is doing his online thing is just uh, is just incredible. Like Obama's on the Twitter. Obama has a website where if you ever let them capture your email address, they will hound you until the day you die with uh, email messages, you know, uh, requests for donations, things like this. I think I well, heard the, the beautiful that. thing that they're doing with it is tying it all together. You know, you get the text message that says, hey, turn on your TV and watch Joe debate Sarah Palin right now. Right, yeah. Oh, you know what? There, I've been getting Twitters that's like, click this link through to the live streaming part of the Obama site to watch him give an address on, you know, sustainable energy in, I don't know, where do you give addresses on sustainable energy? Cincinnati, Ohio. I guess so. At a, yeah, change we need rally. At a change we need rally. Yeah, live streaming. And I, I'm like, live streaming? I had a problem with that, but I went to see a urologist. It cleared it all up. <laughs> Uh, but uh, I, I think I remember hearing that. Uh, God, you're all just. Um, I, I think I remember hearing that the the Obama campaign recruited one of the original guys behind Facebook to do the My Barack Obama website. Is that true? You know, I actually don't know that, but it wouldn't surprise me. And and whoever did it is about to make a fortune. Um, if you remember yeah. Joe Trippy from Howard Dean's campaign. You know, he and the guys who who put together the Howard Dean Internet machine, which was kind of the the you know the nascent Obama machine. Right. Um, those guys are all making an absolute fortune consulting now and working for dozens of candidates across the country. Whoever's doing Obama's site is going to be one of the richest people in politics. Well, Come. is it not? Is it not trippy? Is it not the people who did Dean Space back in uh, what was it? Oh four. They, they're, some of them may be involved, but my understanding is it's actually it's a, it's guys even younger than that. Wow! I mean, it's it's you know it's guys younger than us, sadly. It's really they're really of the the internet generation. These kids, yes, with the YouTubes, yes. Uh, will it? I mean, will it matter? Do you think that these things? I mean, do you think it, it changes anyone's mind to see these? To see these, you know, 30-second ads or Obama girl or, you know, whatever it is? It may change a few minds, but what it, what I think it really does is its best use right now is for exciting the base. Rile, riling know, up the as, base. As Obama supporters feel like they're connected. They feel like they're a part of the organization. So they're more likely to give money. They're more likely to go out and knock on doors. It's really just... it's. You know, it's the most kind of democratic campaign 
in a long time, or it feels that way in the sense that, you know, everybody who's a, uh, a kind of a member of this Barack Obama machine feels like a, a vital part of it. And because they're communicating. Really hard to accomplish. Because they're communicating uh, the with you. Is, it's actually one of the most the least democratic campaigns in history. I mean, there's five people at the top who know what's going on, and it's a very, very small inner circle that's very, very good at discipline, very, very good at keeping secrets, but they've at the same time made everybody feel like a part of it. Extremely, yeah, extremely disciplined and extremely sort of a tight ship is what what I've heard, you know, on the news media, and they, they must know. Indeed. Indeed, they know all. But the thing about it is they're communicating with with you, right? They're sort of... They're, they, you open up channels to them and they're like coming in. You know, if you open the door, they're walking in the door repeatedly with email or with text messages or, you know, whatever it is. Uh, you know, Barack Obama is the most followed person on Twitter. He has like 100,000 followers, so, followers or something on Twitter. It's it's really amazing what they've been able to do. I'm just going to say Twitter a couple more times because it sounds, you know, uh, sounds very angry. Twitter. Twitter. Twitter? As someone who I knew Matt um, long before the Twitter website existed, he used to actually just say that randomly. Um, <laughs> I, yeah, I did. Uh, yes. Good, good fun with the with the uh, with the election. Um, I don't know anything else. I mean, what strikes you about this? What strikes you as particularly unique about this election, Josh? Well, there's there are a lot of answers to that question, and a lot of people talking about it. Um, but I think you know it, this is not a, a particularly profound statement. Well, you, the, you put me in my place, is didn't really you? Going to be a historic thing. Um, just the sheer percentage of, of Americans who actually get out and vote is going to be unlike anything that, you know, our parents have seen in their lifetime. You think so? You think so? You think this youth vote is just not going to get stoned on Tuesday and, you know, just not make it to the polls somehow? It's not just the youth vote. In, in states like New Mexico and Colorado, you had, uh, or, or Nevada, I know in Nevada, a friend of mine was telling me, 25,000 people voted on the first day of early voting. Um, now, Nevada only has, I think, you know, 1.6 million people. That's a significant percentage that are voting on the first day of early voting. Wow. Um, and, and it was only going to build from there. So I mean, you're going to see just incredible numbers. And I'm not saying they're all going to be for Barack Obama, but the fact that people are this engaged, um, you know, this is one of those rare times where you actually have the kind of, which whoever becomes president will have sort of a mandate to really do some do some changing. Now, the the uh, uh, Nevada hasn't gone Democratic since Bill Clinton, and before that, I think it was the 1960s. Do you think the the uh, Dems have a chance at Nevada this year? Uh, I think they probably do because the early primary was there. There's, um, uh, I had, and full disclosure, I worked out there during the primaries. Uh, we registered hundreds of thousands of people, so um, the the dynamics of that state have really changed. Also, it's just I think they're the second fastest growing state in the country. So there's just a ton of new people, and they tend to be younger. There's a large percentage of Hispanics, and they're polling, um, you know, kind of off the charts for Obama uh, in recent weeks. So, I, yeah, Nevada's got a Nevada's going to be changed for a long time after because it's one of the only it's one of the only places people can afford to live, right? Like uh, Las Vegas and Henderson and whatnot. Like those are those are fairly low cost of living cities, aren't they? 
They are. Um, unfortunately, the, the housing crisis, really kind of the epicenter of the housing crisis, was Las Vegas. Huh. Um, there were, in every direction of the desert there, you saw massive developments a year right. ago. Yeah. And a lot of those are standing empty today. So, so in the sense that, the crisis in the sense that, did people like buy those houses and then lose them or something? Uh, bought them and lost them. A lot of people were buying second homes. Yeah. Um, and and know, I guess, yeah, I mean, I guess if you bought a house in Las Vegas, you know, at some ridiculously inflated price with the, you know, the assumption that, well, it will grow and grow and grow so you can take some sort of ridiculous mortgage anyway, you know, I guess you're over a barrel now. I mean, it's a tough time to live there, except for, you know, really pretty fountains and a pirate show twice a night. Well, the pirate show twice a night is, yeah, I mean, you know. I, I always wondered how that guy breathes underwater, the guy who goes down with the ship. Oh, spoiler alert. You know, a guy goes down with the ship. Oh, I was looking forward to seeing that one. <laughs> the pirate ship. <laughs> I've, never, I've never been to Vegas, and now I guess I don't have to. Thanks. Rather, gosh. Yeah. yeah really, Mark, if you want, you can just give us a lot of your money, and one of us will lap dance for you, and you'll pretty much have the Vegas experience. <laughs> Thanks. I really, I really appreciate that. Can you guys go to the Star Trek experience too, and you know, get your picture taken on the did bridge? You go, of the did you ever go to the Star Trek experience when you were there, Josh? You know, I didn't, but I took an improv class with a guy whose day job was being a Borg at the Star Trek experience. <laughs> really? <laughs> he did an hour and a half of makeup every Gosh, day. Damn! Wow. To go like basically assimilate tourists. <laughs> That's... Josh, did they have? Did they have like a expendable red shirt? Uh, red shirt. Uh, <laughs> A guy on on the crew as well. If they don't, it's an absolute travesty. Yeah. So it's a really like a running joke as well. So I mean, this is kind of a digression, but let's talk about Las Vegas a little bit. I love Las Vegas, and the um, the best way to do it, the you know, one of the best times I had was when I went out there with you, Josh. Like, and we went to the top of the Mandalay Bay to whatever that bar is called, uh, and you know, looked out over the the twinkling lights of Las Vegas and you whispered sweet nothings in my ear and I blushed. It was a magic time for all of us. <laughs> I blushed and giggled <laughs> like a schoolgirl. Like, you know, doing it up. You must have had, since you were working in politics, you must have had like, you know, uh, pass to all the back rooms or, you know, smoky enclaves where the real power is, right? Uh, no, because the the guys who have the real power in Vegas don't care about politics because they're going to make plenty of money, whatever's happening. Um, what I did get to see was kind of the backstage areas, um, you know, where we'd be moving the candidate through the kitchens and stuff. And yeah. that alone is just kind of a fascinating thing to see because it's, you know, you see all the glitz and the glamour, and then it's it's one door away, and the door is, of course, you know, hidden behind some fake tree in the middle of fake Central Park and then you're you're suddenly in this incredible world of the kitchens and the wait staff and all that and it's just insanely complicated and and, and huge. Right. Um, pretty fascinating to see. How do you find your way around back there? I mean if you don't work there all the time and sort of know it just because it's your your job. Uh, we always had someone leading us because we would have been lost instantly. That's incredible. I mean, the the logistical effort that it must take to keep even one of those places going, and there are dozens and dozens of them on the strip alone. Yeah, it's 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 kind of. I mean, a lot of people hate it, and a lot of people, you know, oh, it's so artificial and it's so awful, and it is. And in in that way, it's kind of like 
a glorious microcosm of America. And there's just so much, just like ridiculous artifice and ostentation. And, and it's at the same time, like so satisfying and so much fun. I, just, I, I love going down to the strip and just looking around and thinking about how many people were involved in building the giant golden lion in front of the MGM grant. You know? Sure. <laughs> Just like so many lives went into it. It's just kind of a well. It's like a hundred Disneyland's all at once. Exactly. I, or you know, it's it's a modern day equivalent of Babylon, of the Taj Mahal, or, yeah. or you know, these great sort of feats of of architecture and construction, um, but writ large and with strippers oh. and slot machines. <laughs> so is the casino business getting hit hard with the uh, you know after the impact of the. Uh, you know the, the mortgage crisis and now the the, the global financial not that, crisis. Not that I mean, not that you're necessarily the expert on the casino business, but you lived there, so we're going to make you the expert on yeah, the casino exactly. business. Um, my understanding is yes, uh, Vegas is kind of a, actually a really good way to forecast uh, the economy because if people are going there and spending money, um, that means they've got money to spend, and uh, so you know I think Vegas is a very cyclical sort of place. After 9-11, I know it took a really, really big hit. Yeah. People didn't want to fly. The economy was in a slump. Um, so I imagine that it's taken a pretty big hit now. Well, you know what? That's when I started going there, and my dad and I would go. We'd have, like, you know, father-son weekends uh, there because we could get two hotel rooms. Like, we could get insane deals on very nice hotel rooms. Uh there after 9-11 and that's we haven't really gone in a while because those deals have kind of gone away they are coming back now yeah i know we're hoping we're hoping that now like that maybe over the winter it might be uh you know there might be an opportune moment to head out there well i i hope that the the pain and suffering of hundreds of thousands of people who work there uh does in fact serve to get you a cheaper hotel yeah no i i hope so too yeah. Hey, you know what? You want to give me a cheap hotel room because I'll go there. I'll be stupid about gambling. I will pump my money into the machine, you know. <laughs> and, it'll, and it'll trickle down to the people who need it most. <laughs> Reagan taught us that. Yes, and and that has worked perfectly in every instance. Yeah, right. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> like you know. <laughs> Boom! Ben Benaki's with me. Boom! Ben Benaki's and we're gonna Hank Paulson that hoe. <laughs> I think Fenzel did that. I gotta, I gotta give credit to, to Fenzel. Say, yeah, that, that sounds familiar. From, that, from yeah, I think he did a recent it. podcast. Yeah, a this, couple, uh, a couple episodes ago. So, Josh, did you ever get into to like city Las Vegas, like back road, you know, off the beaten track, locals only? Are there like locals only bars with locals only signs and like big intimidating looking motorcycle dudes with handlebar mustaches who will beat you up if you're from out of town? Uh no, actually there's nobody who beat you up in there. I know signs. The the local the locals only bars um don't even really want to be locals only. They just happen to be far enough away from the strip that nobody with locals would ever find them. Yeah. Um the rest of the that town is is in terms of customer service probably the the greatest place on earth, and everybody in town knows that you're nice to the tourists because they're what's keeping you alive. You know, even if you're a gardener, you're gardening for people who make their money at the casinos. So yeah. you know, that economy is so intertwined. Everybody's pretty good about what it. What percentage of the population works in hospitality or gaming? Twenty-seven <laughs> percent. <laughs> yeah. No way. I, I, it's got to be a lot higher than that. 
It's actually, I think, lower. I, I, of course, made that number up, but I think it's actually lower than that. Um, it's really? It's a real city. Um, that's kind of like, it's like a military town where, you know, less than a quarter of the people actually work on the base, but there are people who service the people who work on the base, and there are people who service the people who service the people who work on the base. You know, it's, it, it, it does, in fact, trickle down. Uh, yeah, a lot of, some of my, some of my best memories of Vegas are of getting serviced. Yeah. Uh, and also things being trickled down. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I got to get to Vegas. Sounds like a great city. Indeed, we'll go. We should go. We should yeah. have an overthinking it. We should, I mean, a because con- it's a conference, right? Exactly. It is That's a place. You do in Vegas. It is a place uh, ripe for overthinking, I think. I know that, in fact, one of our readers, one of our most dedicated and and uh, passionate commenters on the blog, uh, lives in the Vegas area. You know, like two percent of America lives in Vegas or something. The, the um, you know, so she'll probably have some stuff to say in the comments. And I'm saying, I'm saying, don't leave it in the comments on the blog. Call two zero three. Two eight five six four zero one. I will have a voicemail on this podcast if it kills me. We will have voicemail here. It can be completely incoherent. You haven't figured out what that number spells. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, Uh, I'm gonna put it into one eight hundred like hot mat. You know, you (laughs) might get more calls. (laughs) Uh, How did you know? Yeah, how did you know my service phone number? Yeah. I am, of course, your your most dedicated nine hundred number caller. Right. Um, so yeah. So okay. Fine. Uh, back to politics. Uh, no president, I think, could live up to the depictions of the president that we have had on movies and uh, in movies and on TV we you know have seen everything from Martin Sheen with MS to Harrison Ford single-handedly you know resting control of his airplane away from terrorists to Kevin Klein playing Kevin Klein who is the president and you know it's you know it's incredible so um I, I thought that for this podcast we could talk about fictional presidents throughout uh, throughout history and um, maybe get some of our favorites, maybe get kind of a, a top top five list going or something like that. Though you know we're not prepared with the top five list, but maybe we'll maybe we'll arrive at one. Do you guys have a favorite, uh, Josh? What, what who's who's your favorite fictional president throughout history? All right. Well, well this. I'm going to tie this to, to something that happened last week, which was one of my favorite moments of the entire election, was uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger at a McCain rally making fun of Barack Obama for being skinny and a wimp, <laughs> um, which just kind of like I thought it was like coming full circle for Arnold Schwarzenegger, and I was glad to see it. But um, I think that really speaks to where we're going. And, and the movie that I thought best captured where the presidency may be going was Idiocracy. So, so my favorite is uh, President Dwayne Elizondo Mountain Dew Herbert Camacho, <laughs> the five-time Ultimate SmackDown Wrestling Champion and President of the United States. <laughs> uh, really? You're going to go with that? I, I really am. I think I think uh, that's the kind of leadership that America is headed towards, and may in fact be the kind of leadership that we deserve. I guess that he. Uh, I guess he does probably appear in a lot of viral videos. 
Though viral videos weren't a huge thing at the time of Idiocracy, so it's not really depicted. You know, people are still watching traditional television in Idiocracy, and it's the show where people are getting kicked in the nuts, I think. (laughs) Out my balls, I believe it (laughs) You know, I've only seen that movie once, but you clearly are a devotee. Uh, Yes, I really am. But you like the whole, that's a Mike Judge movie, right? It is. Yeah, so you like the whole Mike Judge oeuvre. I, I recall you being way into office space. I, anyone who is not has clearly never worked in a cubicle. <laughs> as a quick aside, I, uh, an intern that worked for me last summer, as her parting gift to me, gave me a sweet line. Stop the story right there. As her parting gift to you, gave you what? A swing line red stapler. Thank you very much. Erection, erection fever? Erection fever, yeah. No, a swing line red stapler. Limited edition. Limited collector's edition. I still have it in the plastic. Was on it my, sitting on my cube? Oh, really? Yeah. What, was it like a, a promotional tie-in to the movie that they made those? Uh, tangentially, I think. The swing line did not make red staplers uh, at the time of the movie. Oh, that was I just see. like a fab- uh, fabrication from the movie creators. Correct me if I'm wrong, Josh. Uh, that's my understanding of it. But uh, afterwards, they they began to to make red ones. Not with. I, I don't know if you're wrong or not, but I do know that I'm going to need that stapler back, Mark. <laughs> Mm, I uh, yeah. I measured my progress uh, into adulthood by uh, the model stapler that I had. I always wanted my kindergartner teacher had a Swingline seven four seven model stapler, and I always wanted one. And uh, you know, when I graduated from college and bought myself one, it's like this day I am a man. And, and, and for the listeners, uh, yeah. I've actually witnessed Matt Rather getting laid. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, no, you haven't. When did you witness that? Uh, there was uh, there was a certain party, I believe, in in your freshman suite. Uh, that involved a certain... Uh, uh, okay, okay, let's, let's stop it there. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was so worried about decorum on this podcast because, you know, you work in a uh, in a field where appearances are important. I Who knew that I would be embarrassed by... <laughs> by sl- swinging mud at one's, uh, one's friends and opponents is a staple of the political industry. I guess so, <laughs> yeah. You probably have a whole list of, of things ready to go there. Oh, yeah. oh by the way, uh, two... 203 at log01. A-T-L-O-G at log01. Well, that is the catchiest phone number I've ever heard. <laughs> at jog01 also. Uh, it's the same. Uh, yeah, I know. It's pretty, it's pretty terrible. You have a unique opportunity to work the 203 into it, though, and I, th- I will consider you a failure in- until that happens. Okay. Uh, I'm working on it. Mark, do you have a favorite uh, fictional president? Uh, I'm gonna, it's going to take a second for me to come up with an absolute favorite, but one admirable one, I think that uh, really is a sign for the times, is the president from Superman 2. The one, the one who kneels before Zod. I think he deserves some credit. Now, hear me out on this. Um, we've just got out of eight years of... Um... Okay, sorry, Mark. I'm going to interrupt huh? you. I have it sorry. now. It's okay. A, zero, eat log, <laughs> zero, one. <laughs> a, zero, eat log, Zero one or a zero fat jog zero one. Sorry, Mark. Neil before Zod. Okay, so the president from Superman two is admirable because we just made it out of eight years of uh, fly by the seat of your pants, just go in and look evil in the face and kick it in the nuts. 
uh, George W. Bush cowboy presidency, right? Am I right? So, <clears throat> if George Bush, imagine if George Bush were in that scenario and uh, General Zod flies into the White House after killing everybody and asks him to kneel before Zod. What is George Bush going to do? Is he going to kneel before Zod and do the smart thing and save lives and kneel before Zod? No, he's probably going to do something really rash, like try to fight Zod, and he's going to die, and everyone else is going to die. <laughs> so I think we need that kind of pragmatism uh, in the White House. You know, kneeling for Zod, it sucks, sure, and it's really humiliating. Um, and hopefully, God forbid, you know, uh, Barack Obama would have to kneel before, you know, someone from the planet Krypton, uh, bent on the conquering us all. But that kind of pragmatism, I think we will see uh, in a future presidential administration in the post-Bush era. Right. Mike, you're everything that the right wing hates about liberals. <laughs> yeah. Let's come to think of it, that probably didn't help the cause there. Asian? That's going to be on Drudge Report tomorrow. Yeah, um, clearly we're yeah. Obama's going to have to cut an ad saying, like, oh, Barack Obama will stand up to Zod. And hold Zod <laughs> accountable for his actions. <laughs> I uh, believe that Zod should be... You know, you guys have such good ones. I was just going to go with Jed Bartlett, you know? Because I, uh, because I have been watching the pre-election marathon of the West Wing on, uh, on Bravo. Oh, nice. Yeah, it's nice. They, you know what? They were mostly like 2005, and those episodes aren't any damn good. Uh, I, I was actually surprised that, that I didn't hate them as much as I recall uh, as I recalled hating them, but like they started showing some first season and and some third season ones, and like that's you know that is that show. That's the um, that's the great thing. That's the great stuff about that show. Great day in the morning. Victory is mine. Victory is mine. Donna, bring me the finest muffins and bagels in all the land. Today, I drink the cup of victory, not the other thing. What's the other thing? You know, not victory. The other thing. Oh, the other. Oh, oh, oh yeah. <laughs> Sorry. I used, to, um, I used to play a little game with Josh where I would quote the West Wing, and he would have to, like, say the next line back to me. Those, those were, in fact, the glory days. <laughs> Isn't that sad? <laughs> two more, more toss-ups for fictional president, which are, are, are Maze Gilliam and Tom Dobbs, uh, the presidents from Head of State and Man of the Year, yeah. which were both terrible movies, but I, I, the, the idea of, of a, a stand-up comedian becoming president, I gotta say... Touches me in a special place. Like, I just after after the unintentional comedy of the last eight years, I'd really love to see you know someone someone who really kind of got it at a at a at a high level and understood the joke. I think America's ready for that sort of uh, that sort of leadership. Yeah, right. How about this? Do you, do you, do you think that John Stewart has a re- real chance at running for public office? Doesn't have to be president, but let's say like a senator or congress, something like that. Running for something from the state of New York, yeah, he probably does actually. York, yeah. um, he'd have a hell of a machine to get through, but you know, he's, he, his his values are certainly in line with the majority of that state. And he has huge but recognition. Al about to win. You really? Um, it's a close election, but I think Al Franken's got the Minnesota Senate race too. I mean, it, you know, we're getting there. We already had the wrestlers. It's time the comedians had their shot. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Al Franken though has like a degree in political science, right? Didn't he do? Did, isn't that what he did at Harvard? 
Yeah, but I have a degree in history that doesn't qualify me for anything. Oh. <laughs> you you were yeah, you were in fact in for the well I do. I have a degree in literature. <laughs> and it qualifies me to host a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> it, it is the wittiest podcast in all the land. <laughs> Thank you. Can I quote you on that? You, you may. Can I say, can it be Josh McNeil, the lead of... <laughs> can I like quote you and your you know, political affiliation or something? Yes, yes. Say me, you know, Chief Communications Director McCain for President. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I guess, though, you know, he's been in... I mean, he's been in... Uh, all these people who are coming out of Congress are getting shows on Fox News... Uh, he started, Franken started as a host on Air America. You know, he's just, it's the same path. He's just walking it backwards. Yeah, I mean, we've had a revolving door with the, you know, military industrial industry for a long time. Why not entertainment? Why not entertainment? You know, at least they'd be, I'd like, I'd like people who inspire me. You know, I like Tad Buchanan a lot more as a commentator than I did as, you know, a potential president. William Bennett, yeah, William Bennett, a lot better on TV than he was as education czar. Yeah. Um, What about, let me flip the script a little bit. What about a favorite, and we haven't really prepared for this, but what about a favorite presidential election on, that's depicted on, uh, on TV? Or in the movies. And here's what I'm thinking of. I'm thinking of 1995, The American President, with uh, Richard Dreyfuss trying to, uh, trying to beat Michael Douglas. And he, ca- he, he would always say, Richard Dreyfuss would always say at all, at all his rallies, I'm Bob Rumson, and I'm running for president. Until, uh, until Michael Douglas said, you know, I'm the president, and I am president. Andrew Shepard. Shepard. Andrew Shepard. I'm Andrew Shepard, and I am president. I can't think of a whole lot of campaigns that are depicted in uh, in movies and television. Okay, well, just uh, my spec script for Independence Day two, when President Whitmore has to run for re-election yeah. in a devastated post-alien invasion <laughs> America, has yet to be made. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Did you write that? Uh, yeah, I mean, I guess his stump speech is essentially the Independence Day speech from that movie. Finally, into the night. That's actually, that's actually all he says. All his dialogue for the whole film yeah. is drawn from that 30-second clip. Yeah. <laughs> hey, hey, hey speaking, of, speaking of Independence Day... Would you like breakfast? We will not go quietly into the night. <laughs> what are we will not give security? up without a fight. What are you going to do about Social Security? We will rage against the dying of the light. Yeah, that's what we're going to do. We will go outside and fly a kite. Yeah. <laughs> So speaking of Independence Day, I was thinking about this, and uh, if you, I'm thinking of a couple examples of fictional presidents from the Clinton administration. Um, one is uh, one is Independence Day, right? Uh, Bill Pullman's character from Independence Day. Sure. Uh, the other one is uh, Harrison Ford's president from Air Force One. Yeah, I believe that is also from the Clinton administration. And I think uh, what I'm what I'm thinking is that those two, at least those two fictional depictions of presidents during that time were in reaction to this uh, draft dodger non-military president that we had and this desire to see real, you know, both both of those fictional presidents were veterans and they really get down and dirty and kick some serious ass for the USA. Any thoughts on that? Well, my first thought is that the plot of both of those movies absolutely requires a badass, kick-ass president 
Yeah, um, it, it probably is more. Sure it was a reaction to Clinton, right? And um, more, more just, just the, the requirements of the plot, but of the genre they, of, of having an action movie. Well, there were, I think there were, I mean there were action movies around the president um, years ago. None that we've ever seen. None that have survived. But you know, the original Manchurian Candidate, things like that. Okay. Um, that's an interesting idea, Mark. In that in that sense. What have the let, let's take that a step further? What have been the reactions to the Bush administration? Uh, President Bartlett from West Wing. No, he was. No, that was that was coming out of the Clinton. The yeah, it was of a, coming out of the Clinton administration. Yeah, we were written in college. By the Clinton administration. Sorry, it was written by the Clinton administration. Yeah, what was her name? D.D. Myers, right? Yeah, and then the other um, the other guy whose name I'm blanking on. Sorkin. No. no, Aaron Sorkin. Aaron Sorkin was the creator, but the the political advisors were uh, Clint, were yeah. Clinton people, and you know what they they met Aaron Sorkin working on the American President, and he pitched the West Wing because, uh, right, because he had all this material from the American President that he thought would make a good series, and he was right. And though I liked Studio Sixty on the Sunset Strip, it just doesn't, you don't have the same gravitas as like, you know, are are the Chinese and the Indians going to go to war as like, um, you know, are we going to get the perfect impression of Nicolas Cage for the show on Saturday? Wow, that, that really killed the conversation. Get a good important Nick Cage, gosh. I don't know. That was my poor attempt at Nick Cage. Did impression. you see... Oh, you, no one watches Saturday Night Live. I don't know why I watch Saturday Night Live, because I'm so frequently disappointed. I mean, it's been pretty, pretty crappy, other than the political stuff recently. Though, Ben Affleck did two things that were kind of interesting last week. One was uh, an impression of Alec Baldwin... Uh, which was, you know, which was not great, but it was funny that he was willing to do it because, you know, Alec Baldwin seems like a guy who'd be vindictive and would come after you if you, you know. Um, uh, the other one was an impression of Keith Olbermann that was pretty damn funny on like an eight minute Jeremiah against perceived injustices, uh, that he encountered in his life, you know, (laughs) and it was, it was pretty cool. It was pretty cool. But you you feel like you feel like SNL still hasn't really made that that comeback that everybody keeps talking about with all this election stuff. No, I think it has. I mean, but I think the ratings are going to go down after the election because people are going to tune into the show and realize, hey, this still is not very good. Like all also, the- hopefully there will be no Sarah Palin as well. Hopefully. Well, yeah, I mean, I guess the best Knock thing off. that could happen for comedians is a Republican administration, because can you imagine, like, McCain and Palin? Like, you know, whether you like Obama... Gonna, if McCain gets elected, Palin's going to get locked in a root, like, basement room for four years. Like, he's not going to let her out of the closet <laughs> at all if he's elected. You think so? The we'll only joke the, will be, like, Sarah Palin attempting to, like, claw her way out of a basement cellar. Uh, yeah, you know, say, no whether you like, I mean, whether you agree or disagree with the you know policies uh, that Barack Obama proposes or like the direction you think he's likely to take the country, you can um, you can sort of I think see it's sort of well established that the guy is like extremely. Uh, purposeful, extremely level-headed, and very disciplined, and you just don't see him making the kind of you know missteps. You know, and he's not, or, he's not easily caricaturable, if that's a word. Yeah, 
Well, well that's Saturday Night Live had a black actor. <laughs> well, they do. Kenan Thompson's a black actor, but he's is, not. Is he on the... I haven't really watched it, but the... is... I thought uh, wasn't Obama being played by a white guy for a while? Being played by Fred Armisen, who I think is. Uh, he does so many Spanish characters that I think he might be partly Latino. Uh, though I, you know, I don't know. And if, if you are offended by what I've just said, uh, call the hotline <laughs> at a zero eat log. Oh, one. <laughs> That's a zero eat log. Oh, one. <laughs> Uh, Eat log. Um, uh, on, on that note, gentlemen, I have to get to go. All right, so we will let Josh McNeil go. Hey, Josh, before you go, do you have a pop culture pick for us? No, it's okay if you don't. We didn't really prepare you for it, but is there anything in the pop culture that you have been following that you want to make the listenership familiar with? Um, I think Sons of Anarchy is badass, but I'm like two weeks behind on it, so it could suck now. Okay, Sons of Good Anarchy. Show. It check is. It out. Yeah, we will. We will check it out. We will put a link to. I think it's on Hulu, so we'll put a link to the Hulu page on uh, on overthinking it. Uh, Josh McNeil, it has been a pleasure, sir, to have you on the podcast. Thank you so yeah, much. Good talking to you. Talk Very to you well, later. Awesome. Well, I guess that's a sign, Mark, that you and I should wrap up as well. Okay, let's do, you, do it. I mean, do you have do you have anything else that you wanted to say? To kind of address, uh, we didn't quite address Josh's question about, you know, the response, fully address the question uh, uh, that, that Josh had about. Um, yeah. Oh, he, he, that was just Josh signing off. Yep. Um, we didn't quite fully address the question of um, the response, the pop culture response to the Bush, the Bush administration. In- well, who, well, yeah, the kinds of presidents right. that we have seen. Um, I don't know if the, if the, the, if you could call those, those comedian presidents. Um, a reaction to that, maybe because the you know one could argue that since Bush has made a mockery of the presidency, it's only fitting that that comedians can now be presidents. I guess I don't know. Like um, you know what I was thinking? I was actually thinking of Josh Brolin in W, uh, and and I was thinking, well, God, no one no one parodied Bill Clinton while he was in office, but in fact, John Travolta did. In primary, primary colors. colors, yeah, and I think that was released while he was in office. Uh, yeah, I think it was. It was during the Clinton years. Well, it yeah, wasn't, it was. It was uh, like just a very thinly veiled caricature of Clinton, right? Yeah, oh, it wasn't. I mean, it was hardly veiled at all. It, right. you know, it really was um, him, and it was by an anonymous novel. Well, it it be it, the identity was revealed later by a guy named Joe Klein. Um, that was a novelization, a very thinly fictionalized account of his time working on uh, Bill Clinton's campaign, right? Uh, presidential campaign. So he, um, you know, and think, it got made into yeah. a movie. Yeah, 1998 is what IMDb is okay. saying. Right. I think the biopic thing is kind of a category unto itself. Yeah. Obviously, I mean, it is that is unique that a biopic uh, of the Bush presidency comes out while the Bush presidency is still uh active yeah i think it's a little i think it's the the question to do that the timing of that is i i kind of disagree with that just because there's just bush fatigue in general yeah um i'm wondering now if um well there were all these there were all these political movies right at the same time it was w and the leonardo dicaprio movie was another one yeah and in a way like the um the shia labeouf movie eagle eye was wasn't that like political conspiracy 
or something like that. I didn't see it. Eagle Eye is is that the one where like they're being followed? Uh, yeah, they're being followed or they're being watched by satellite or something. I, 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 they could argue that those are kind of political as well too, but you know nothing quite. You know that's that's a very different thing than the the just the just in your face. You know, two full hours of this is the George Bush presidency. You know, okay. you can have movies with themes about you know overarching government power and espionage, all those kind of things. Yeah, it's not quite the same as this. You know, well, it wasn't this- actually. It wasn't even the George Bush presidency. I think it ends shortly after September well, 11, 2001. Right, it's the, the life of George Bush. Yeah, leading, the, up. leading up to the presidency. You know, but yeah, it is Bush fatigue. It's like kind of like, well, God, if you're going to do this movie, it's there's actually kind of a bad sportsmanship to it, right? Like, why punch a man when he's down? Yeah. You know, at least like at least Michael Moore, his timing was better, right? He was he was making that movie, uh, he was making Fahrenheit 9/11 when uh, when Bush was extremely popular, right? In the right. in the right. run up to the Iraq War, when the guy's approval ratings were through the roof. That's right. You know, so he was sort of speaking the truth of, you know, say what you will about Michael Moore, and I have a lot to say about that guy. Uh, like, he was at least not kicking the guy when he was down. He was sticking up for a position that was um, not the majority position at the time. Yeah. Well, there's there's that. But I guess one of the other things that I wanted, that I wanted to bring up, if we can talk about it briefly before we wrap up, is... Uh, the TV show Twenty Four, yeah, good points that that have that have come up in there, right? Um, the the president who was was played by the black guy. Sorry to play the race <laughs> the card. Black there. guy, uh, Dennis Haysbert is the actor's name, and David Palmer was the name of the Palmer, character. President Palmer. Yep. Um, I, I I haven't watched Twenty Four religiously like other folks have, um, but if I remember correctly, President Palmer is, is portrayed as uh, good, even oh. even tempered. Yeah, extremely. Um, not quite the knee jerk like let's bomb the shit out of. No, uh, I mean there's been this there's been this talk about he's kind of a prototype for Obama and the fact that like you know uh, 24 which was like a big like neocon show because they're all pro torture. Yeah. Uh, you know um, that this that if this show could envision a black president, then like this kind of paved the way or at least like prepared the. You know, prepared the American mind for Barack Obama. Uh, well, I mean, that, partly that, but going back to the torture thing, I think Twenty Four did much more to legitimize torture as a national security tool than, say, paved the way for a black president. Uh, <laughs> unfortunately, because that's all I remember about the Twenty Four that I have seen is just uh, Jack Bauer when he's confronted with a problem, he resorts to violence and electrocutes. Uh, 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 Arabs. Well, Mark, if there were uh, an atomic bomb about to go off and blow all your friends up, and the only way you could do it was to, you know, put battery cables on some guy's nuts, you would do it, <laughs> wouldn't you? Wouldn't you? Well, gosh, when you put it that way, I guess battery cables to attach to people's nuts is a really very vital yeah, secure, like, a tool ju- in national security. Juice them up. Oh, man. Yeah, oh. it is pretty scary, isn't it? you know actually one of the best i think depictions of torture in um in the movies and this is like uh you know and we live in an we live in an era where torture is depicted with with to me alarming regularity in the movies in you know torture porn i think saw five oh, came yeah. out Gra- graphically too not just off screen like uh maybe it was before yeah oh yeah totally right like right totally um uh three kings 
right? Where where Mark Wahlberg? I've seen it. Mark Wahlberg is tortured by a guy in Iraq, and he's you know he's like uh, he's strapped down in a chair, and I think there's you know some sort of car battery involved, and it's like it's very unpleasant, but it's played totally not for shock value, uh, though it is shocking. It's really played for like what the reality of that of that interaction is like and you kind of see the effect that it has on two people one who's a victim of it and uh, you know one who is perpetrating it but but who is also kind of uh, you know, who's also kind of damaged by it though so not this is, you know this physically. Is, uh, it's been a while since I've seen this movie Mark Wahlberg being the American uh, soldier is tortured by who an Iraqi? Yeah, it's some you know someone like that. I forget exactly who they're fighting. Saddam Spitzman. Yeah, it's the oh, first yeah. Gulf War. Right, it is. Yeah, uh, the good one. Though <laughs> so, you know, I recall people saying you know it not at the time. You know, like blood for oil and Iraqi. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. The, okay, the, the much the far less bad one. Let's well, yeah, I guess. Well, sure. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Torture, torture. Are bad. you saying, Mark? Are you saying it would be better if Saddam Hussein were still in power? <laughs> well, and that, and that, if there were an atomic bomb about to go off, you know, like, and uh, all your friends were going to get blowed up, and all you had to do was strap the electrodes onto the guys, uh, onto well, the guys' nuts. If we have an even-tempered black president, then I guess it's okay. Yeah, I guess, right, because if he's really, like, you know, w- weighty, if he's a guy of, like, serious moral gravitas, you know, and he's at least considering the philosophical implications of everything uh, that we are about to do, you know. Dennis yeah. Haysbert is now on a show I really like called The Unit uh, – that is he plays like a military dude actually the sort of dude who would who you know who sort of might torture a guy though he's much he he again is like even tempered and much more principled oh. that guy must that guy must really want to play a character who's not even tempered and principled you mean you mean the angry black man character? Yeah, well, I guess. Yeah, I guess you can only be two. I guess oh, you can man. only be, you know, uh, even tempered and uh, principled. Yeah. Hey, if we think politics brings out the worst in uh, brings out the worst in people on the internet, we should start talking about race on oh, the podcast. Yeah. Oh yeah, especially especially those those Asians. Gosh, can't stand those Asians. Erection their, fever oh, with their erection fever and their math. Gosh. Hey, do you have a pick? I do have a pick. And just by the way, before I go on the pick, I am actually an Asian American person, so um maybe it kind of makes it okay to say that. Hey, I don't know. Mark, Gosh. If it, yeah. but you are you are from you were born in Birmingham, Alabama, as I recall. I, I sure was. So if if South Korea were to go to war against the American South, which South would you fight for? <laughs> 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 I had to choose. Yeah, if you had to choose between the two Souths that you know uh, define your personality, uh, I guess it depends. I won't. On, you uh, know what? I won't make you. I won't. I, I won't make you answer. But you know, at, at I, least acknowledge that there is a question. <laughs> there, there is a question. The quick answer is whatever side my dad is fighting on, because he's you know since I'm my only blood relative who's still in the state. There you go. So, um, yeah, so my pick, as goes, yeah. So as goes Papa Ree, so goes, as, as uh, goes Popper, so goes me. Got um, it. So uh, my my pick is a is a quick one um, for <laughs> to to stoke the erection fever. <laughs> um, 
uh, and uh, this is a topic which is really worth more discussion is just the kind of the information overload. Um, if you're a junkie and you just need your fix and you see poll numbers and you're wondering what makes sense, the sense they make and you want to see even more poll numbers, go to 538.com. 538 being the number of uh, total electoral votes. There are uh, someone has a running an excellent, uh, very statistics and poll based blog. Um, analyzing all the polls coming in and, and it's all, all the scenarios. It's all spelled out, right? F I V E T H I R T Y E I G H. Yeah, yeah, I'll send you the link so we can have the URL for the for the show notes. Excellent. Uh, okay, so it's like a, it's a political information junkies kind of blog. Oh yeah, it gives you the sweet sweet stuff and it just keeps pumping it into your veins. Excellent. Um, my post it's a little pedestrian, but uh, my my pick is going to be the shield. Uh, it is wrapping up, I think, in the next four weeks or so, and uh, it has been, I think, just an astonishing, uh, an astonishing ride, an astonishing five or six years uh, on the shield. And I have heard, I've heard some buzz on the blogs about the uh, about the finale. I, I guess it's a two-parter, and the last one is an hour and a half. And uh, it's supposed to be just incredible. It's supposed to be just an amazing, amazing uh, wrap-up of the series. Um, and it's been screened for critics, and you know all the details are being kept pretty tightly under wraps. But I, you know, I'd say, I guess maybe now is not a great time to jump on the Shield bandwagon. Right. But uh, you know, if if you have been. Watching the oh. show and you fell off in the last year or so, I think you can come back without a ton of, uh, you know, without a ton of stuff that you've missed and just see it. Because if you have anything invested in the characters, I get the feeling, and of course now I'm buying the hype, right? Like, it's probably not good for me to, you know, be such a fanboy like this. But, you know, uh, if you have anything invested in the characters, I think you will want to see how it turns out. I know I will. Brother, don't be shameful about your fanboy status. Just I'm embrace such it. a fanboy. I want to get in there and go to the Shield conventions at Comic-Con, and I want to get them to sign all of my memorabilia. Terminator Sarah Kenny Chronicles. It's just too much... Better show. Okay, I really should. I really should make fun of stuttering. We just lost the stuttering demographic. Yeah, we just went all gone. Uh-oh. We just lost the stuttering Gosh. demographic. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry. Yeah. No, right. I got. I gotta get. I gotta get on the shield. Much like I have to get on the wire, and I have to get on the Sopranos. Oh, there's a wire. That's a great show. You know, all these, all these TV shows which have come and gone. Blinky, if you're listening, you totally should watch the wire. Chronicles. If Belinky is listening, he's got to watch The Wire, man. I, I think you should check it out. I mean, I've only seen one episode, but uh, what I saw was good. Yeah. So, check out The Wire. You, you got to keep the devil down sure. in the hole. Uh, Mark, <laughs> how can people find you on the internets? They can find me at Lee, L-E-E, at overthinkingit.com. You can also Twitter me. You can also follow my Twitter at uh, twitter.com slash goes to 12. That's G-O-E-S. T-O-T-W-E-L-V-E. And you can get me at Rather, that's W-R-A-T-H-E-R, at OverthinkingIt.com. I'm on the Twitter at Twitter.com slash M-W-R-A-T-H-E-R. And Overthinking It, 
now has a group Twitter account where we are all Twittering, uh, and you can see some of our latest tweets on the blog, uh, or if you want to follow us and get our updates via the web interface or on your cell phone or however you get your Twitter, uh, our Twitter handle is overtweetingit, O-V-E-R-T-W-E-E-T-I-N-G-I-T. Overthinkingit.com is the blog that subjects the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably doesn't deserve. <laughs>